Welcome to Eat Right with Laura. My name is Laura Rockos, and I'm the owner of Eagle Rock Nutrition, an integrative healthcare practice providing dietary and lifestyle intervention for disease prevention and health management. So today we have a, a special guest, Dr. Julie Dovelman, who is a psychotherapist. She belongs to a practice, uh, Abrams Psychological Services. So this is a pretty unique um, topic for today. I'm usually talking about dietary strategies, and I don't often have guests like Julie on the show. But I did want to say this, that in the course of my nutrition practice, I have found that many of my patients have sought psychological services. So I do at Eagle Rock Nutrition, we do have a psychologist on staff. Um, Angela Mayo, who's wonderful, my patients just love her, but I met Julie um, in the, from the same organization where I met Angela, so I met, met Julie through uh, an organi organization that I belong to, the Entrepreneurial Think Tank for Women, or ETT Women, and Julie gave a presentation at one of the meetings about sleep, and I found her presentation riveting. I hung on to every single word. I thought what she had to say about insomnia and sleep and sleep problems and sleep issues was so provocative and thought-provoking that I thought I really needed to bring her into an Eat Right with Laura podcast to delve into some of the ways that she addresses some of the same problems that I address with nutrition. So I'd like to introduce you all to Julie. I'm going to ask her to tell us about herself, her background, and where to find her. So Ju Julie, welcome to Eat Right with Laura. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you today. So my name is Dr. Julie Davelman, and I'm a psychologist with Abram Psychological Services. And what kind of problems I address is really anything that you would like to see addressed. So, of course, we do the general kind of anxiety and depression and anger and trauma. Uh, but it is so much more than that. In the psychological services capacity, you can really begin to address any kind of problems that are standing in the way of where you'd like to be. So you don't have to wait until you are suffering from a diagnosable condition, but you can begin to address problems when they first start. So my general suggestion to people is that they begin to look at where they'd like to go. And if there's obstacles to where they'd like to go, I can probably help them get there. So it's really interesting how a lot of the issues that you just mentioned are all issues that affect eating behavior, which is why our services are so complimentary. But keep going. <laughs> so in our practice, and we have an office in Tin Falls and an office in Fords, making it a convenient for people in the center of the state, um, I can help people to begin to understand what it is that they're missing. So for example, uh, often I will talk to clients and they will say, well, I have this problem, but I should really be able to take care of it on my own. And my response to that is usually you most likely can because a lot of disorders are either cyclical or the problems you're having you probably can take care of on your own. But the analogy that I give them is if you have a broken bone, you can certainly do nothing and it will most likely grow together and it will heal but it will do so painfully and over a long period of time and will probably not give you the full capacities that you had before or you can go to a surgeon have the bone set have it casted and be on your way in four to six weeks 
that's kind of the parallel. I can help you learn techniques and skills that you probably could have figured out on your own, but why should you have to? Why should you have to do it the longer and the more painful way if I can get if I can help you get there faster and smoother? And you know, I love what you just said that the body is self-healing. So last night we hosted a lifestyle medicine event at Eagle Rock Nutrition, and that was the whole crux is that the body will heal on its own provided that you give it the right kind of care. So psychology really in a lot of ways, especially the kind of psychology I practice, so I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist, and what that means is I believe that thoughts affect how uh, what you think affects what you feel, which in turn affects what you do. And very often people will attribute um, their actions to their feelings. So if you ask someone what they were thinking in a particular situation, they will usually say, I felt sad. Well, sadness is a feeling, not a thought. So helping people really identify what their thoughts are and then helping them change that, which in turn will change the feeling because you can't really change feelings directly. You can't tell yourself to be not sad, but you can change the thought that is leading you to interpret the situation and um, in that way that is making you sad. So when a, when a patient comes to your practice, uh, how do you initiate the first therapy session and then what are subsequent ser- therapy sessions used for and what are they like? So as um, the way I practice is in my first session, I will generally talk to people about what their expectations of therapy are and the way that I am likely to do the work. So for example, I will explain to people the, um, the idea I just explained to you that I'm going to spend a lot of time asking you what you were thinking in particular situations or why you thought about it in a particular way and kind of give them the logic of why I do what I do. Because an important part of the work is really the client's buy-in. They have to believe that I have something of substance to offer them because they really can do this on their own in some ways and because a lot of the answers are often yes but there's a reason I'm not doing that and I can only help people as far as they want to be helped right so I can give you the skills and the techniques but I can't make you do anything so if you want to do that I will gladly help you get on the path you want to but if you don't want to do that that's Unfortunately, your choice as well, and I need to respect that. So what are some of the tools that you give your your patients so that they can kind of change the way that they're thinking like like I you know and Angela's here I see like the the tools that she gives my patients to moderate their behavior what are some of the the suggestions that you make to your patients to modify their behavior So I think that the best way to answer that is kind of an example because it's a really broad answer and it depends on what the the problem is that we're addressing. So for example, I treat parenting issues, uh, which happens to be my passion, um, and maternal mental health things. And in that, a lot of it is normalizing and explaining age-appropriate behavior and giving parents an arsenal of skills that they can use to affect the change they want to see in their home. That's not necessarily a diagnosable issue, but it's certainly one that affects somebody's life on a profound level. And then if somebody is dealing with anxiety, then you teach them relaxation techniques and understanding of kind of what is happening for them. Um, you know, with depression, you would do things like getting people out and about. But let me try to give you an example of this idea of thoughts affect feelings affect action. Um, the example I like to give is imagine you have a teenage girl 
and she's coming down the stairs and her mother looks at her and says, oh, you're going to wear that out? And in situation A, the girl thinks to herself, wow, my mother really cares about me. She always cares about how I look and, you know, and she always wants the best for me. In that situation, she feels good and loved, goes upstairs, changes her clothes, goes out and has a great day. In situation B, after that same comment, the girl uh, thinks to herself, my mother is so critical. I can never do anything right. Everything I do is always awful. Stomps off upstairs, locks herself in a room, and spends the evening crying. In the real world, nothing was different. The only thing different is that girl's perception of what her mother's intentions were and what she meant by those things. So it's really her own cognitive interpretation of the situation. So in this example, I would work with the girl to help her understand how her interpretations aren't getting her to where she wanted to go. So if her intent was to go out and have a good night, then her interpretation of the situation was not helpful to her. So, like, um, let's try to apply this CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy, to what I see in my practice. So, I don't know if you've ever heard of anything called orthorexia. It's what I see in a lot of my teenage patients and even some of my older patients where they obsess over everything that they eat to the point that they don't eat anything because they're afraid that everything is not good enough. So, they're clean eaters, but they're too clean. And it... it it takes over their life. So I, I know you can't really resolve this in like a single session, but how would you start to address, uh, you know, these kinds of disordered eating? So going back to a previous question that you had said, uh, that you had asked is, what will we do in that session? And some of it is goal setting. So it's really understanding where do they want to go, right? Because this is, therapy is about them. And it's also about, so the goal of therapy is not to be in therapy. So I want to give you all the skills that you need to do this without me in as fast and effective way as possible. So if it's a disordered eating problem, we would try to identify some of the thoughts which you just have said. Well, nothing I eat is good enough. Okay, well, if nothing you eat is good enough, where is that getting you right now? Right now that's getting you to not eat at all. So how do we change some of that rigid thinking to be broader to include things that are possibly could be on your list and some of it could be conceptualized as experimenting well let's try eating something that is next to your list let's say it's not quite on your ultimately best eating practices list but it's a it's a good second let's see if you can eat that and then tolerate the anxiety that arises from having eaten something that isn't perfect and we can talk about how to reduce that stress and anxiety and how to tolerate that and give you the skills that you would need to make that happen. But very often when you see that you ate that and the sky didn't come crashing mm -hmm. down, it makes it a lot easier to eat the next thing. Right. And what you want them to do is not to start eating poorly, right? You don't want to swing it the other way, but you really want to identify what is their goal. And if their goal is eating healthy, well, that's not what you're doing right now. What you're doing right now is a warped interpretation of what a, that a, means. A warped interpretation. Well said. Well, I'm going to tell you what I do, and I'm not a psychotherapist, so I want to know. I'm going to tell you what I usually do, and you tell me whether I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing, because I've never even bothered to ask any psychologist if this was a good thing to do. 
All right, so one of the tools that I use at Eagle Rock Nutrition is a body composition analysis. I've talked about it on my podcast many times. All right, I use bioelectrical impedance to show my patients what they look like on the inside. So we're separating ourselves from the scale and I say, look, you know, you either have a lot of lean mass or you don't have enough lean mass. You know, we go through, you know, your body is basically, this is how many pounds of lean mass, muscle mass, fat mass, bone, body water, you know, where that water is. I could like actually show them what their like, what their digestive tract looks like. And I can talk about metabolism. Like, look, this is your basal metabolic rate. It's perfect. It's perfectly fine or not perfect. So this is, you know, that the number on the scale is not the goal. Your goal is to get your, you know, metabolic rate to this, you know, you know, level that's normal. And I show them what the healthy level ranges are. Are they above the healthy range, below the healthy range? A lot of times they realize that they're a lot healthier than they thought, and then they seem to feel better. But I want to ask you, is that tool derailing the goal here, or is it the right tool? Well, I think it's very person-specific. For somebody, that could be reality a reality check, and they walk away from them saying, oh, I was wrong. I'm not really X, Y, Z. For another person, you just give them something else to obsess about, right? Because it becomes just as obsessive, and now do I have water in my ankle, or do I not have water in my ankle? And it, it depends on what the person does with it and you unfortunately have no way of predicting what right. what they do with those skills and again you're just giving them a tool and what people choose to do right. with the tools you or i give them is up to them because i have seen like patients looking at those reports and they actually get very upset i would say 90 percent of the, my patients are very happy with their data but they're and i don't i really don't want to be the cause of anybody's duress and sometimes a body composition report can be very upsetting. So it might be, at that time, it might be a good idea to say, if you're struggling with this, why don't you talk to somebody? Because a lot of um, things, and in our culture, as I'm sure you've talked about in your previous podcast, there's so many things about food. Mm-hmm. And every food is part of almost every social experience. You Unlike other problematic behaviors, you can't really avoid it. So if you're a Mm -hmm. smoker and you want to not smoke, we can tell you to go to the movies because you can't smoke at the movies. Well, you can eat at the movies. Mm -hmm. You can really eat almost anywhere. Right. So so much of eating behavior is um, habit forming and we form eating habits so early in life. And one... For example, when I talk to, uh, when I do parenting work and this idea comes up with parents and kids and eating, um, parents worry about what their kids eat. Well, most uh, eating behaviors are set by the age of three or five. So if you're been telling your child to finish what's on their plate, then that's the behavior they learn. And now 30 years later, they're still finishing their plate, whether or not that's what they want to be doing, but they've never stopped to think, well, do I need to finish my plate? Do I, am I still hungry? Am I, is this what I want to be doing? It becomes, well, this is what I do, right? It's like the person that drives past uh, Starbucks and says, I get coffee. Well, why did you get coffee? Because I was passing Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's just not enough mindful awareness and just thought about 
why it is that we do particular behaviors that we've been doing all of our lives. So some of it is really helping somebody reflect and say, okay, well, what were you expected to see on that report? Were you, and some of it is magical thinking, right? I was expecting the report to tell me I am perfect. Or it could be the reverse. Um, the report showed me nothing is wrong, and yet I still feel awful. Mm-hmm. And if I can't fix it on the external level, how am I going to, what am I going to do with myself? So if my body image is so destroyed that I feel fat and ugly, and yet your report is telling me I'm not, well then, what am I supposed to do with myself? If, if it's not about weight loss, then, then how do I fix this problem? And this could be the kind of areas where I or another psychologist comes in handy with really exploring what other problems are underlying it. And as again, I'm sure you've discussed in previous podcasts, eating habits and eating, overeating, undereating are part of so many mental health conditions, anxiety, depression, obviously eating disorders, but also trauma and anger. And um, there's every kind of eater that you can imagine. And it's really figuring out what kind of eater are you? Why are you eating? How do we help you not eat that way if you choose not to? And when is it okay to eat that way? So if you're a reward eater and you have been waiting to who, you know, for this great thing and you decided that today you're going to have that piece of cake, well then have your piece of cake. Um, says I at the with a podcast with a nutritionist. <laughs> but, uh, um, but it's really uh, taking the monster out of the food and, and really kind of helping people focus on what it is that they want to be doing. So so there's all these like uh, people who now host like mindfulness programs, which I really like. I actually send my patients to uh, participate in these mindful programs, which to me actually, now that you're describing it, reminds me of cognitive behavioral therapy. So what is your impression of the helpfulness of these mindful it's, behaviors? It's a skill, a skill and a tool. Right, so being aware of what you're doing is an important skill that you need to learn because you can't moderate behavior that you're not aware is happening. So for example, they've done this um, research, which I like to talk about when I talk about food. They had people eat a bowl of popcorn in front of the TV and unbeknownst to the people, the popcorn was being refilled automatically from under the table. So the bowl was never ending. And people who were watching TV ate significantly more than the people who weren't watching TV. Why? Because they didn't know how much they ate. Yeah. So you can't change a behavior you're unaware of. So one of the tools, for example, that we will often teach clients is tracking. So track your thoughts, track your behaviors. Also, when you ask people, how often do you have this thought? People will often overestimate or underestimate. And then we don't know what we're actually dealing with. So we will, similar to nutrition, you will have people track what it is that they're thinking or what is, what is it that happened? What was it that they thought about it? And then how did they feel? Because the way you remember it a week later when you showed up in my office isn't necessarily what you were actually thinking or doing at that time. So recording things real time and tracking helps us have real time material that we can then address. And then you send people out and experiment. So next time you have this thought, literally say to yourself, and we'll often even make index cards. So with this thought, say this. With this thought, say this to yourself. To really retrain yourself to have 
a new response to your usual automatic thoughts. Right. So I actually use my body composition device to let me know when I'm actually succeeding. So what are your metrics uh, to make sure that your patients are benefiting from the guidance that you're giving them? So generally, that's something only a client can decide. And I will check in because my treatment is very goal-oriented. We would have set goals at the initial session. And then at least a month in, so we're let's say we're meeting once a week, four or five sessions later, I'd like to check in and see where we are on your goal. Um, and the way we know you're succeeding is you're getting to where you want to go, right? So whether that means symptom reduction or whether that means you're more present when you're interacting with your kids or whether that means you were able to control your temper in situations you weren't previously able to control your temper, but also understanding that this is a process and I don't have any magic pills and I don't have a magic wand. So just because you want to feel better, I can't get you there unless you're willing to do the work. So it's really keeping, but because we check in, it shows people that just because they haven't reached their destination, just because they want to be an A plus eater, but they used to be an F eater. If they're a C eater today, they're still better than they were. And we're heading towards where they want to head. And that helps people continue to be engaged with the process. Yeah, so so neither you nor I have any magic pills. And I do get lots of people that say, can I just take something to help me what if whatever it is they want to solve? But for your patients, do you ever see them be able to to come off some of their meds so because i'm not a psychiatrist i don't no, deal with not. their medication right. Right. so i would refer them to right. their psychiatrist and therapy is in it goes hand in hand with whatever else they're doing whether they're medicated or not because it's skills learning so if i am teaching you skills for the kind of things that the medication is currently helping you control then yeah you can possibly try coming off those pills and see if you can just implement the skills. Mm -hmm. Very often the medication helps you focus in the therapy, get out of bed, and get to where you need to go and put in the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, again, would be always done in consultation with their psychiatrist. Right. All right, so if people do want to work with you, how can they find you and how can they make an appointment? <laughs> so you can find me online at abramspsychservices.com. And we have an office in Tinton Falls and in Fords, as I had previously said. Part of the practice is also Birth Babies and Beyond, which is the part of the practice that focuses on parenting and maternal mental health. I also have a blog, which is drdavelman at .wordpress.com, where some of these other topics are discussed. And you can reach out to me uh, through the website or um, by phone. My phone number at the office is 732 460 1300 extension 303 and we can at least touch base and, and have a conversation about whether or not this is something that would be helpful to you it's always better to reach out and figure out whether this is for you or not and you only have to come in once you're not signing a contract of blood if this isn't your cup of tea you never have to come back but it's better to know what your resources are and you don't know what you don't know i'll bet that everybody comes back so julie thank you so much and i hope that you'll share this podcast on your blog on your website so anyway that's it for now this is dr laura Rocco's. i'm signing off um if you'd like to learn more about me or what we do at eagle rock nutrition definitely go to the website www.eaglerock.com that's e-g-g-l-r-o-c-k.com and you could also like me on facebook at eagle rock nutrition um, my twitter handle is at eagle rock and we have an instagram that's lots of fun and fact filled
world. So have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much for listening.